it's been interesting looking at so many of the dating sites over the past few years because you see it all over the place, eth ethically non-monogamous. And I have a friend I was looking at his profile recently. It clearly states, I'm married. We have an open relationship. Don't make it weird because it's not weird for us. You know? That's a great statement. I thought so too. And I was like, oh, that's experience talking right there, <laughs> yeah. you know, of people being like, well, you're cute. You look great to hang out with, but completely overlooking the ethically non-monogamous part and then hanging out with someone for a short period of time and then finding out that they're really not okay with it. And then it gets weird. This is the What Bird Are You podcast. This is our podcast celebrating sex. Safe sex. Consensual sex. Sex without shame or guilt. The kind of sex you discover when you become your first best lover. We'll be talking about our own sexual experiences and bringing other people's voices into the dialogue. If you are unwilling to be part of a frank conversation about sex, this is not for you. Welcome, Welcome to, to the, the show. show. The What Bird Are You podcast has talked about a variety of sexual activities, fun, pleasure, sex without shame and guilt. We've hinted at polyamory. So in this episode, we're going to be talking with people who are practicing polyamory in, I think, really respectful, loving ways. And so L, Eric, and Susie, let's record another episode of the What Bird Are You podcast. Let's do it. Thank you guys for coming. I've been wanting to talk to you guys for a long time about this. It feels like it's taken us forever to get together. So this is really exciting. Elle, I think what really made me excited about wanting to talk to you is because it seems like you've been doing polyamory in one way or another for longer than most people that I talk to. And I just want to hear your story. I want to hear what's worked, the evolution of it, where you got started, and then talking to you and Eric about where you guys are now and how you navigate where you are based upon your previous experiences. Let's just in. How long have you been considering yourself polyamorous? Off and on for two decades at least. And how did that get started for you? In my early 20s, I was living in community and I was doing an internship at an eco village and the culture there was primarily polyamorous, especially amongst the founders. So my, my first foray into it was with a couple that was looking for a, a third, a lover, what we nowadays call unicorn, right? I think. <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't have that notion at all back then. The unicorn is a third, third to a couple. And wait, did they have a different term for it back then? They didn't have a term for it That's back then. That's too bad. I know. I kind of love the whole unicorn thing. It's funny because I don't even think polyamory was, I mean, we talked about that word, but what it means now, there's so many different like there's titles, titles it's and titles. terms and yeah. identities around it now that I just, and I know a lot of people read a lot of books and have lots of ideas about it. And this is kitchen table polyamory, or this is, and we'll, we'll probably get to this later, but I- <laughs> It was such an organic experience. I didn't I didn't have any of that. I think that's a really nice way to yeah. be introduced into it. I mean that there's not the the anxiety and the overthinking. It's right. just like lovely people enjoying each other. It's totally organic. Yeah. Yes. They had a vision of what they were looking for and I was so green and in my early just starting to explore my sexuality in my early 20s. So I it was one of those things of like sure that sounds great. Let's try it. <laughs> Let's try it. <laughs> And I really, I, I was attracted to both of them. I would say I'm bisexual, but I'm definitely more easily attracted to men. The polarity of that is always easier for me to access mm. the juiciness there. And 
I had a connection with both of them and it went really well at first. And as things evolved, I fell in love with him really, really hard. And she, she had been the one pushing for polyamory in their partnership. She had other lovers. She came from the Bay Area and had, it was a very strong LBGQT community for mm-hmm. her that she had come from and was still in touch with. And so it was really interesting because I think his experience was used to being the one that was uncomfortable with the dynamic and pushing the boundaries and, and it ended up being in the reverse. And she ended up being, um, well, long story short, she ended up calling it off. Mm, yeah, Calling off your relationship or yes. their polyamorous relationship? She called off our relationship. They were about five, five and a half years into a partnership that um, this was probably the biggest test they ever had. And I knew at the time that he, he, he was going to stay with her, but it was, um, I don't think he knew they, mm. they really almost did break up. It was very, it was very intense. You and he started to have the feels and that changed the initial dynamic. It did. You were no longer a unicorn. You and were yeah. uh, something else potentially. And we got really close because he and I were more similar. Like there was a way in which I think his empathetic nature and my empathetic nature were a match and something different than what he was getting from her that it's a, yeah, I don't need to get into all those details, but it was a big learning for them. And ironically, years later, I was in another partnership with who ended up being the father of my first child. And that gentleman that from the, from the polyamorous relationship and I ended up getting back together with her blessing. And oh, they was, were still together. They were still together. And it was it was successful. I was in relationship with him for years until I moved away and moved to the East Coast. So it was a little bit of a roller coaster, of, and I but I learned a ton. That was like just one of the most formative experiences, and so many lessons baked into that particular first experience of polyamory. And I'm curious if what you learn is about communication, uh, learning about your own love and how you present it, or also like just the the physics of 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 the the, the intimate relationships. All of the above, right? And like, I mean, it is a fast track for self-growth. Polyamory will definitely make you look at your shadow. And if you have any any issues with communication, it's going to bring that to the surface. It's, I think it's part of why I'm drawn to this lifestyle. It's evolutionary when it's done well. Hmm. Did um, you just say polyamory will make you look into your shadows? The, yeah, like the, the, the we have the, the, the blueprint of sexual compatibility, but like the, that, that shadow character of, of, Ooh, <laughs> I love it. I love it. And a lot of people think that polyamory is just a, a free for all of, of, of sexual activity, but I think it, there's more work. There's more communication that's necessary. There's more empathy. There's more understanding your own desires. It seems like it's way too complicated for the average person. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I'm polyamorous. <laughs> and that's why she's like, no, you're definitely not polyamorous. <laughs> we'll have a whole separate podcast on that, Sam. <laughs> There's a lot to dig into there. You got started with this relationship, which in one way or another sounds like it followed you and, and continued to be maybe a polyamorous relationship as you had other relationships mm-hmm. along the way. Right. So that's really interesting. And had they ever been polyamorous before? They've been polyamorous the whole time. Okay. And so you probably learned from them what it could look like. I'm guessing you may have modified that a little bit mm-hmm. with your own experiences. Mm-hmm. 
They had great communication. They had really dialed in the whole conversation around safer sex mm -hmm. boundaries and how to do that in, in a polyamorous container or containers. There was just so much, so much learning in that first relationship because of how evolved they were already. And did you move from the West Coast here to where we're living now? I was living in the Midwest when I met them. And yeah, I moved from there to the okay. East Coast. Yeah. And then when you moved here, like, how did you continue that? Was there any thought ever about not wanting to do that? or? So initially, the the man I moved here with, my son's father, we also were polyamorous. Okay. And and some of these relationships that from those years, I mean, I had, we'll talk about this later too, but the I we really accessed a level of compersion and the beauty, the beautiful side of polyamory in a way that, um, yeah, just it's, it's special when you, when you do it well, it really, I talk about adding love to the system. It's, it's a, it's a whole different thing. There's more capacity. And when I came here, I realized that the container of living in intentional community really supported that. Mm, and that. so it was lacking for us. And in the end, we ended up, our relationship didn't actually end up surviving that first year after we moved here for whatever, which was fine. I think we weren't actually the most compatible partners to begin with, but we tried and we we had, we were committed to it up until the time that we stopped. When you talk about being in community and living in community, for those that are listening that may not know what that means, can you describe what that is? Uh, living in intentional community is one of those things that also has many different forms. There's It's generally, though, people living on land together whether they're in separate houses or in a in one big house with multiple you know, apartments or whatever. I've lived in co-housing. I've lived in eco-villages. I've lived in community in many different forms. And in this part of the country, there's quite a variety as well. And I, I think a lot of people locally live to just do it by having housemates that are sure. friends. Okay. and Like-minded. Yeah. Like-minded. Yeah. Do you feel like polyamory is more prevalent in communities like that? I do. It seems like it would make it easier. I do. Everyone knows each other. There's more openness, I would think, more transparency because yeah. you're probably sharing meals together yes. or you may be touching base with these people on a regular basis. There's intentional communities all over the, the world. I am aware of polyamory being practiced in, all over the world at this point. Sure. And it's definitely more evolved in those places. There's many anecdotes about different communities around the I'm sure. country. <laughs> So you said in the beginning, there's been times where you've been polyamorous and then there's been times where you have not been polyamorous. The times that you've not been polyamorous, is that because you've been with a partner that maybe wasn't polyamorous? Or, exactly. Yeah. I feel pretty fluid in the sense of like, if I find a partner that's a really compatible partner, if, if what they really want is monogamy, it's not hard for me to commit to, to one that. person. I say that though, and usually I end up pretty um, restless after about five to 10 years. <laughs> well, five to 10 years, I think we're probably all a little restless <laughs> regardless after five to 10 years is my guess. So yeah. Yeah. There's a great book, Mating in Captivity, that I recommend for people to get a little window into the benefits of polyamory. And maybe why we're built more to mm -hmm. be polyamorous mm -hmm. than to not as as critters running around. Here and that there. tends to be the Bible for polyamory for a lot of people. That's the reference. If someone's interested in polyamory, look at this book. If someone's trying to encourage a person to be polyamorous, look at this book. There are a few out there, but that seems to be the, the most cited one. When 
uh, when people are looking at books to help identify themselves, a book, whether it be a scripture or a, a treatise or a manifesto, all of a sudden you become a, 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 an advocate of that that theory. It seems like yours was very natural. It was what's the appeal? of a, a polyamorous lifestyle for you. Obviously, you could be monogamous, mm-hmm. but then the restlessness. We all suffer from restlessness. But what's, what's the, the greatest appeal? It's a great question. I think that the idea behind polyamory is that we can love more than one person, and that is really deeply resonant for me, not just at the social level, but at the spiritual level. And what I've found, even in my monogamous relationships, is that the freedom to cuddle and have emotional intimacy with people, especially people of the opposite gender, if it what would typically look like maybe a threatening relationship doesn't need to be. And um, it just it just gives us access to so much so much more re- relating. And I, I love that. I love being able to relate with people where it genuinely feels natural to go without putting restrictions on it that are based on societal norms or insecurities that maybe we actually do need to look at. Does polyamory have to be sexual? No. No, and everybody gets to define their relationships as they want to. In fact, a friend introduced me to the term relationship anarchy not too many years ago, and I really resonated with that instantly. I mean, I've had this one particular friend, she's a female. We've never had a sexual relationship, but in some ways she feels like a life partner just because of the nature of... And she and I met in community in those early years when I was exploring polyamory. And we were friends back then. That connection, I mean, the the true term polyamory, many loves. Exactly. And the people who I've really listened to and 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 have helped me identify as polyamorous, or at least in the past, is the fact that you have friends that you could go paddle with. You have friends that you could go throw darts with. The, the, the collective things that you could do with a variety of group. You have your work partners. You have your lovers. You have your bowling partners. That's all sharing love, right? Exactly. And, and people who have been critical of polyamory is like, that's too much energy. That's too much giving yourself to the world and the variety of, of, of communities. So... We all have experienced the idea of I've got my school friends, I've got my family, I've got my work colleagues. It's all polyamory, right? So I think that's so interesting. And this is where I get a little thrown off with it all. I have some girlfriends who have been in my life since I was in my very early 20s. We had kids together and I consider them life my, my life partners. And we tell each other that we're going to be like, we're like, no matter what, when I'm 80 years old, I don't care who is in your life or not in your life. We're going to be sitting somewhere, probably being rambunctious and, and getting into trouble. So these are true loves. I tell them I love them. We sh- deeply share our lives together. So for me, I'm like, well, and I'm a person that shares love very easily. It's easy for me to say, I love you and I love you and I love you and to truly mean it because I have a lot of love to give. The thought of polyamory, though, often does include a sexual relationship. And I think that's where 
I do get a little caught up with these terms. So what is if polyamory truly is multiple loves, which I totally get, including a sexual relationship into it. And I guess this goes really back to what happens when we have sex with each other, how that changes those friendships, how that changes those relationships. Mm -hmm. And I think it does. Like, what is that then? Polyamory is just loving each other, which we all do. If you bring it into the bedroom, and, and I know there's so many ways to define polyamory. That's why Sam and I have struggled with mm -hmm. having a true podcast where he and I just talk about polyamory because I think we often get a little, oh, well, it's this. No, it's this. No, it's this. Oh, it's non-monogamy. Oh, it's open dating. It's just being sexually freaky people that love to have sex. <laughs> like we kind of get, and and I get so overwhelmed with the conversation that it it makes it turns me off in a lot of ways i'm like i just don't even want to talk about it i don't totally get it i just think so yeah multiple loves i i get that but the 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 sexy part of it how does that fit in does it need to be there D i don't even know how to ask the question i mean i think what you're getting at is that everybody's got to find their own how it works for them. Right. And it's emergent. I mean, we learn as we go. That said, the more what you want, the easier it is to dial it in. Sure. And it is so helpful to do this to do this lifestyle well if you have clarity about what you want and you vet well for it from the get-go. And that probably comes through trial and error. Yeah. I'm and yes. so I'm that you having done it for so long, you've probably had to weed through this is what I really love and what I want. Or yeah, I have no desire for that, whatever that is. Yeah. So what's the, what's that process? Can you tell us some example? Well, I do think it's helpful to start out with somebody's that have experience. Yeah. I was blessed in that way. And I think if you're if you're just starting out and getting into it, and especially if you already have a partner and you're trying to open up a relationship that hasn't been polyamorous, to to really vet for somebody that has some experience, you're gonna you're much more likely to have success with it from the get go. That makes a lot of sense. And I talk to people who are like, "Yeah, we're gonna give this a try. Neither of us have done it, but we're kind of bored and we want to spice things up." And yeah. what does that look like? That has to be a hard place to start from. I don't think it has to be. I think right. it often is. And more often than not, when people, when couples are opening up their relationship to polyamory and they've been monogamous, they get into trouble because they're not doing it for the right reasons. Yeah. And to me, I mean, I don't, I don't want to be judgmental of folks I don't know, but I will say that your relationship being strong in a strong spot to start with is the place to start from. If you're if you're already having trouble and you're using this to solve those problems, it's not likely to end well. So we met and we've I've brought we've brought this up on the podcast before. We went to this club, Secrets Club in Florida, and we met an older couple that were there that had been the lifestyle for a long time. And his big thing, he said, What? If it, it's going to fix you one way or the other, it's either <laughs> going to make the relationship stronger yes. or if you already have these these cracks in the foundation, it's going to that relationship's going to be done and you're going to find someone else to hang out with. So he's like one way or the other, it's going to fix it's going to make it it's going to fix it. 
Do you remember that conversation? I definitely remember that conversation. And that made me, and we had this conversation too, the idea of polyamory as a series of relationships versus open dating or swinging where I don't know your name. I don't care about your name. You have nice tits. I want to whatever. (laughs) And it seems like they are more along those lines. Like we've raised the kids. We've had successful things. We're not here to know anybody. We're here to have fun at this club, and so that's why we've bought bought property here. I don't care about your name. I don't know where you live, and I'm (laughs) fine with that. And so it's the idea of like the pure sex without connection or without strings attached. So there's that element too, and that's polyamorous. It's it's you're 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 figuring out what you love and and how you interact with it. I think that's been my thing, though. I don't consider that true polyamory. I think true polyamory is more of what Elle's talking about, where you truly have these deep connections and you're forming these love connections opposed to that, what you're talking about, which I think is more just like open dating. It's swinging. It's just like that whole fun, sexy time versus what I'm, I think where I've landed over the past two years of really looking at this polyamory truly is having multiple love relationships that you're I tend to agree. I I mean, it, and that's just how I define it for myself. But I think the heart connection, the emotional connection, that's important. That's where the juice is. And, and your voice, Eric, is now coming into this. So I'm curious what your background is and how you conjoined. I also want to get to the, the fact of give us some advice on how to overcome negative emotions, including jealousy, and how to overcome the, 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 the barriers that might prevent compersion. Com- what's compersion for people that don't know? Compersion. It's one of my favorite words. Me too. I think it's the, and, and forgive me for not deciding Webster here, but I think compersion is the celebration, the happiness of your friends, your lovers, your family. They're doing good, good for you. Here's a high five. And if it comes to your lover in the polyamorous world, it's you have this experience that I've never had with you, and you seem to be really thriving because of it. I don't feel threatened by it. I am only encouraged by it. That's what my version of compersion is. So finding joy in others' joy. Heck yeah. Yes. And that's just the opposite of jealousy. I've asked so many people in the world if they've even heard the term compersion. (laughs) Every time Google doesn't even know what compersion is. So is this just a a completely fabricated sensation? Is this a completely fabricated connection with other people? Or is it a real thing? So we just asked a whole bunch of questions at one time. (laughs) So Eric... Tell us about you. I began a long-term relationship that got stale, that got, um, that needed something, needed a spark or we weren't going to stay together. Um, So we decided to open it up. And what we first decided to do was introduce emotional intimacy with others. We didn't want to dive right into any sort of sexual anything, just begin to express feelings outside of our own relationship. Um, And... Uh, it was it was a lesson in in finding compersion and and learning about what that is. And you asked something um, towards that effect, which was, you know, how do you control jealousy? How do you how do you manu- almost um, uh, work synthesize jealousy with the compersion? Um, and in that relationship, I couldn't do it. 
I had a I had a an aversion to her attention going elsewhere because of so many years of her attention being elsewhere. All you know it for you know we raised kids together and all the things and so we had a we had a common goal of raising kids together and now it suddenly became an extra goal of hers to go elsewhere and it 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 hurt me at a at a really deep level and i couldn't handle it and um that uh, relationship ended um a long term relationship with kids and um um we 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 have found uh, some things since then, and um, you know I, I uh, left that relationship and found L um, right I mean within a month or two out of that relationship, and we we talked and we we understood what the whole idea behind polyamory was. We just instantly clicked, like oh it's about bringing more love into your own relationship with your relationship with yourself, with your relationship with your, with your partners. Uh, it's all about creating a, a deeper, a multi-layered fabric of connection. That makes sense. How long have you been together? Four years now. Mm -hmm. So I think just the specifics of it all, like how do you find the bandwidth to add an additional love to an already busy life. Like I, I think about that. I already have trouble finding time for my own meditation and yoga just for my core self or to get together with my girlfriends. Like I can't imagine like how, I guess you have to make it a priority with all things and when you make it a priority, but it just, how do you guys make that work? We stay very busy and uh, we prioritize um, one night a week to be just with each other, um, excluding, you know, exclude all children, work, everything just, and it's more than one night. It's usually a, a day, uh, an evening, a morning, you know, it's, it's, it's really time put aside, um, quality time put aside for us. Um, that in itself really feeds the relationship in a way um, that allows us to make time for others. Um, so that's step one. Uh, step two is to have very clear communicative boundaries around our time and what is important to us and where we are putting our time. Uh, we all have, have little projects that we do um, in, outside in the community, with our kids, with other lovers, with each other. So, you know, mapping it out. I didn't have a Google calendar until I became polyamorous. <laughs> what a great quote on that. <laughs> And can I can I end with that question because I think that's a really significant factor in watching how you Susie navigate the world. She is a hustler. She is busy. She's raising two kids as a single mom. She's running Airbnbs. She's running the the work that she's doing at a full time basis. She makes time for friends. She makes time for activities like roller skating, going to the gym and paddling. And hey, you want to go to Costa Rica this week? Let's do it. So here's one of the things that I have a concern with, with the idea of, of, of polyamory and that, like how much bandwidth do you have? If you're going to budget your time with 
certain people because there's only so much time and energy in the work. I'm going to be working eight hours a day and I'm going to go spend three hours with this person. That means there are other people who don't get any of your time. Right. And I think I would, that one of the huge pitfalls in a polyamorous relationship is like, so I don't get to spend time with you today? And then all of a sudden you're scheduling to spend time with a person? Like, hmm. And I have a, a really negative trait that Susie's been pointing out for me so that I can develop is when I'm, when I'm not in sight, I'm not there. So like, I forgot to call you this week. That doesn't make anybody feel good. Oh, you've been hanging out with other people and doing fun things? That doesn't make me feel very good. It really... Well, this communication. It's communication. Right. And I don't think we're... <laughs> we as people, at least in this particular culture, are really taught how to communicate well. We're taught to whine and to cry and throw it so people get our attention, but we're not taught how to express our feelings so that there's actual benefit for other people. Am I being heard? Well, I guess I have to throw some against the wall to be heard. Well, that goes back to what Elle was saying. It's going to teach you a lot about yourself, and I could see where it would. You're forced to either learn and to be a functional adult, or it's not going to work. I'm going to say a word here. I think... Self-responsibility mm. is a huge piece of this and knowing what you need and also knowing how to self-soothe mm. and source for yourself when you do feel alone or lonely. Um, those, are, those are big things that kind of naturally have to evolve if or you're going to succeed in this Your lifestyle. own boundaries as well for or sure. being able to speak up and say, hey, I've commitments every day this week and I need alone time. Correct. I am not like I'm, I mentioned like my yoga and my meditation. I realized just the other day I was kind of having a meltdown and I was like, I've not been doing my own self inner work because I'm doing hanging out with other people and doing all this other fun, yeah, really great, fun, busy stuff. But I was like, Oh, I'm kind of collapsing here because of not doing that for myself. And that's just part of being an adult. I also but. want to say, if you have kids, oh. so I've, I've been doing this lifestyle the whole time I've had children and, yeah. I've, and I, I feel great about it, but I do think you really need to prioritize your kids and dial that in before you embark on bringing other relationships into the mix. So have you spoken to your kids about polyamory? How, how, what does that look like for how you've raised your children? I've been transparent with both of my kids about it and Eric. I have been generally transparent with my children about yeah. very yeah. different situations, though, Eric, because you have not been polyamorous for most of your kids' lives Correct. up until about four years ago. Whereas L, you probably mm -hmm. from day one have been polyamorous. I'm I'm conscientious to not um, introduce my children to a lot of new relationships. It's, it's yeah. the serious relationships that they're introduced that they, and they might at first only know that person as a special friend. Right. But as they've matured and as they, it was age appropriate, I've let them know what, what's going on and it's just been normalized for them. And, an, and ultimately, they end up having more people in their lives that love them. So it's, yeah. it's beautiful. And there's something to say for hanging out with good people. Yes. Only bringing people in that are good people, that share values. Yeah. And it does seem like if they've been raised at a young age of just seeing loving relationships going back to my girlfriends being lifetime partners yeah i'm not having sex with them but my kids consider them family 
That's mm-hmm. part of their family. That's part of their infrastructure. So probably similar with some partners that you've had over the years. Exactly. And the, the difference here too, also my children were on the latter half of their teen years um, when they began to see me with with multiple people. So Those are hard years though for kids. Too. And keeping the conversation open. Yeah. And making sure they understand the reason and the 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 rhyme behind the dance that we're that we're in. Kids want to see their parents happy and in love. Like love is a beautiful thing. So mm-hmm. it works when it works. Um I think Eric's kids had a had had to see their parents go through some tough times and seeing their father in a happy relationship has probably been pretty healing for them. That's beautiful. Thank you. That makes sense. So, all right, you've talked about things that worked. Do you have any examples of things that maybe you would have done differently? Or if if you if we have listeners that are considering this lifestyle, maybe some tips to do this in a healthy way? So I like to talk about vetting. Oh, yes. And I will say, you can mess up polyamory just as bad as you can mess up monogamy and vice versa. And vetting is really important to both. I I learned a lot from Stan Tatkin, who's wrote a book called Your Brain on Love. And it's written for monogamous couples, but there's so much wisdom in that book that can be applied to polyamory. And one of the things he talks about is vetting. And when you first start seeing somebody or if you're interested, if a new romantic interest to really bring them around to your friends. And I think in polyamory, it's bring them, introduce them to your other lovers or Mm. introduce them to the people that are going to be impacted and see if it's a fit. Make sure that their priorities and what they're looking for, if if what you're really looking for is a somebody that you're going to see once every two weeks, make sure that that works for them. And if what they're looking for is a partner and you're not available for it yeah not 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 worth it it's just not worth it i've seen many times that um people pursue a relationship because there's attraction attraction is not the only criteria to make a good relationship and you can fall deeply in love and then have to end it because it's not because somebody doesn't love each other and it's so, it'll save so much heartache if, if people learn to vet better. I think a lot of people in our culture aren't, aren't doing polyamory well, sadly. And I, I think that's part of why I was excited to do this podcast because <laughs> I, I feel like we've dialed it in. We're having a good experience doing it. And when it works well, it's working well because there's more love in the system. You're enjoying your lovers having lovers. You're having more friends through that experience that the pieces that people like the things that give it a bad rap, jealousy and the breakups aren't going to, you can avoid that if you do a good job on the front end. Polyamory done well. I like it. I can speak to the vetting some early in our relationship. I came up with some people that I wanted to get closer to and we didn't necessarily, I didn't have the lingo there. I didn't, Mm -hmm. I didn't understand the, the, the reasoning behind going through that process and yeah it was it was kind of rocky it was kind of to work through what the other person was actually available for or what I was available for so the thing that really came up for me when you asked that question was boundaries yeah vetting for one 
boundary is one and a half. It's like right, <laughs> right there with it is understand what you're available for, where the boundaries are, make sure they're rock solid between partner one, partner two, partner three, whatever. Yeah, I have a, a friend who's married and has two young children and completely ethical with his wife's permission he's taken on. Um, he's been looking for a girlfriend and for three years now, I've been watching him go through this process and he was with a woman for a while and she would just get really jealous of his time with his kids and really jealous of his time with his family. And I think that was really interesting. So now I watch him have a more open conversation to just say, hey, here's what I'm looking for. Here's my other commitments. And now he's in a really lovely place with a partner and, and they all go to the lake together, the boat and then the wife and the girlfriend and all the kids. And it's great, but it's been fascinating watching that. And I, that's really, I've seen him exhibit exactly what you guys are mm -hmm. talking about. So I have to just throw this out here. Sam and I have talked about this whole, so much. And I, I'm just gonna put it out there. What I have said before, it seems like relationship shopping to me. And I think this is a fear of mine. And, and I, it seems not a fear. I feel like people often, they want more, they want something else and, and they want to open it up. And eventually it just seems to me like you're either the world's full of beautiful, amazing men and women. I mean, it really is. Yeah. And the likelihood of you just not any, not anyone particular, but us in general of opening it up so much. It just seems like eventually, if you keep doing that, that relationship is going to shift into something else. And I think that's a n negative thought that I have around it. And so I think that's my question. Do you, I'm sure that you've seen that happen sometimes in relationships, open it up to polyamory, and then they end up finding someone that they like more, that are more exciting or a better fit. And then that relationship ends and all of a sudden you're moving right into the next relationship. That can happen. I don't necessarily, um, I mean, that goes back to that piece of, is your relationship solid to start with? To start with. And why are you doing it in the first place? Because if you're truly happy and, and love somebody, when you meet somebody else that you're excited and juiced about and you want to be in a polyamorous relationship, you're not going to run away from the person that you were with to be with a new person. Right. That's a model of what I would call serial, serial monogamy. Or mm. I had a former boyfriend that called it monkey branching when, it's, mm. when you go from one relationship to another kind of waiting on the next best thing. Right. And I'm sure there are people that do that in polyamory and that's part of why I think it does get a bad rap, but yeah. I don't think that's true polyamory. I think if you're gen genuinely looking to be in multiple relationships, you don't abandon somebody. And I think what I keep thinking about having this conversation is I do think it takes a special kind of person to make polyamory work. I like what you're saying, polyamory done well. And I think what I keep asking myself is, well, can anyone do this if it's done well and in the right way with the right intention and the right brain and thought and heart space behind it? Or does it truly take certain people that are wired in a certain way to make this lifestyle work? That's a great question. What comes up for me is 
you have to have an abundance of love within yourself. Yeah. First and foremost. You you can't be in it for me, 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 me. I'm I'm yeah. in it to support my partner in every, every way that that goes. And I know that she's in it to support me. So when she sees me excited for another relationship, that brings excitement to us mm-hmm. as well. It, it it amps up the excitement level between us and that whatever that new partner. So that brings me back to compersion. I'm mm-hmm. so glad you said that, Eric, because that's true compersion. And what I've been wondering for the past year does everyone have it? Because I feel mm. like, Sam, I see you move through the world with so much compersion and you introduce me to compersion and I totally see you live, not just live it, it's just how you react to things. And I don't always feel like I have it as much as you do. And I think since knowing you, I've been really reflecting upon my own possible lack of compersion and it that Maybe it does take people that really have a lot of compersion and can tap into that to make it work. And for people that maybe, I've actually wondered if it's a genetic trait, if it's a genetic marker almost. (laughs) I do. I've been wondering almost and that some people have it and some people don't. I'm not sure. I can speak to that a little bit. In my my marriage, in my long-term relationship, I was very jealous. She was very jealous of me and my time. I was very jealous of her and attention put upon her. And I feel like just beginning a new relationship without that, really intentionally without that, um, was just a huge upgrade for me. I bet. And that goes to security, right? The security that we have. So you need to have that security in your relationship. You need to have that I think in order for compersion to be able to show up for most people or to be able to bring in other love, my guess. When I, you said security, it makes me think of secure attachment right, and, exactly. and anxious attachment and avoidant. Yeah. Um, those, those play in so deeply when you start talking about having multiple relationships. Yeah, I would think so. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, I think you can tell, like, we talk about it a lot, and I've been looking at my own self and looking at other people and studying it and being really curious about how it works and how people are making it work. And when it doesn't work, what happened? When... And my, my experience with compersion is associated with my lover before Susie, my, what I considered even using the term primary and secondary and all of that. Uh, but my primary lover was in Canada. We were Sunday lovers. She was busy during the week, living in the United States at the time. She was busy during the week. I would visit her on the weekends, or she would fly to Boise, or she would rendezvous in the Puget Sound, or whatever we would do, but it was on the weekends only. And she had a a, a general rule that says, do what you want, be safe, be happy. Uh, But if you fall in love with someone that's going to be the the critical barrier. Mm. And then it turns out, I don't want to hear stories either. So when she was finally, when we were in the, in the breakup period, 
she told me about some experiences that she had in Costa Rica that included a lover. She was riding in the back of his motorcycle with his sundress on. To me, that was like, hell yeah, you were doing that. You wrecked a rental car trying to get to that location to get there. And like you had an adventure, you had an experience. I didn't know anything about it. Good for you for that boldness. Good for you for that, that joy and that warmth. And she basically accusing me of being crazy. She's like, why do you want to know that? That's crazy. And because I didn't feel I could tell her my adventures, she didn't learn about Susie until listening to this podcast. And then she was blindsided and it was really problematic. Mm. And so that idea of what you could tell, what you could share, what you can't share. I want to share. I want to tell stories. I want to tell the, the juiciest stories. But I want to tell the stories where people are in their fists in the air going, hell yeah, <laughs> yell yes to adventure. I definitely think that it helps to have transparency and be able to share in my in my relationship with Eric like that that feels really important and i've asked him when he's when he's gone through spells of sort of actively dating a lot to not introduce me until he's really found somebody he's excited about and yeah. sure like i don't want to hear about the three different women he's been texting today <laughs> because he just met them on the whatever yeah online dating platform it it feels to me like there is a threshold by which then it becomes important and then I can really get excited and be supportive. And there's a whole thing about new relationship energy too that we yeah, could, I was we, gonna ask we about could talk that. about. I, I was going to ask about that because it seems like like what Sam and I have is comfortable and it's exciting and we have a great time. If he were to come home and be all excited about this new relationship and it's new and it's exciting and it's hot and it's it's all this stuff, it would be hard for me, even if I knew the other person, to not feel like, you Which know. makes it difficult for me to navigate that or yeah. to be, for the lack of a better term, or maybe this is the right term, open about it, transparent mm. about it. Am I talking with a friend who happens to be a female? And I don't feel I have anything to hide. Look at my messages, look at my dialogues, etc. But it still makes me think, will that, will that upset her I mean, will I that that's... bother her and we've had those conversations we've even had those and i i don't like we ever argue honestly no. so i think that's interesting that can be another talk for another day <laughs> i don't feel like what i do ever is arguing i think we have great conversations i think this is a little different though so what you're talking about is just talking to someone and being transparent what i'm talking about is like when you find a new partner and you're really excited and you're watching your other partner connect maybe physically and giving all that attention like, what is, what is that process like? Well, and there's a time and a place. Like, if you're in a brand new relationship with a new lover and you have a current existing relationship and you come home to your current existing relationship all excited and talking about it and you haven't first connected with the person after you've been away from them, yeah. it's going to be a lot harder for them to receive your excitement. So we, ha we have some norms that we've kind of come to, Eric and I. Um, one of them, when... And we're not currently in a phase where this is relevant, but there have been times when we've had just a regular weekend check-in about what's going on. That's been super supportive. Just to like, let's let's not try and catch up during the work week when the kids are needing our attention and we we could trigger each other. Let's let's like save it for a time when we have the space to like really dive in and and hear each other about what's what's moving. 
new relationship energy is a drug. Like mm -hmm. it, it really does act like that on our brains. So to be conscientious of that and to really check in with our partners and be proactive. How do you do the dance? How do you say, hey, I've been communicating with these people or I've started a relationship and is it is springing it onto the person? That doesn't that doesn't so, seem to be right. Eric has a history of of oversharing <laughs> and at, uh, at inopportune times. Uh, that's why we have these norms slash boundaries put in place to make it a specific container. Yeah, it's like okay, we had this week week weekly check in time where we we talk about any new interests or any ongoing relationships and we kind of fill each other in and we actually can share with excitement with one and you just you just don't choose it before somebody's about to walk out the door timings or, everything yeah. yeah and i can express curiosity anytime i want so if you come home and i know you've been out and i'm ready to receive it i can be like how was it yeah like if i'm in the mood for it great it'll be connecting but um be present first with your, the person that you're with. Yeah. Prioritize making connection with them and, and not bringing whatever you just came, came from home and blasting them with it if they're not, they're not in the same headspace. Eric, you mentioned that you didn't have Google calendars until polyamory. How, what, what's your practical calendar look like for scheduling your own date nights? Your, your family nights, your work nights, et cetera. How can you, how can, when it's going to be someone else's turn to have your attention on, on a Wednesday or this week, or how does that work? How does that look like? Uh, well, first and foremost, we, we do our um, time together and we alternate Fridays and Saturdays so that we have that time and space for, for each other. So, that, so weekly, we have that time with, it, with one another. And then, yeah, I have, I have my work nights, I have my kid nights, and then I have a night kind of to myself. So, yeah, I mean, that kind of works. You only get seven days in a week, um, and most, most of them are pretty full. And do you make it an effort to introduce each other's lovers to each other? And lovers doesn't have to be a sexual, it could be a buddy, it could be whatever. Do you make an effort to share who those people are with each other? We do. We do indeed. Especially as El said previous, we wait until there's some kind of juice that's happening before we begin to share more openly about another person. Definitely. And I am pretty clear to vet for people that are going to be available for that. I mean, that's the thing. You'll, you'll find people that do not. Don't kiss and tell is kind of a whole different angle on polyamory and that's not my model, but I, more power to you if it is and it works for you. I think it's been interesting looking at so many of the dating sites over the past few years because you see it all over the place, eth ethically non-monogamous. And I have a friend, I was looking at his profile recently, or clearly states, I'm married, we have an open relationship, don't make it weird because it's not weird for us. That's no. a great statement. I thought so too. And I was like, oh, that's experience talking right there of people being like, well, you're cute. You look great to hang out with, but completely overlooking the ethically non-monogamous part and then hanging out with someone for a short period of time and then finding out that they're really not okay with it. And then it gets weird. 
I asked him about it. It's like, oh, that's a strong statement. And he was like, yeah, I've had so many bad experiences mm-hmm. with people not truly understanding what it is, what we're doing, and not really wanting to find out. Right. Just wanting to have a quick fun time and, and, then, and then getting... It seems like an interesting day and age to navigate all this with the online dating, the online community versus what you were probably doing 20 years ago Mm -hmm. or in these communities where everyone's sitting around the dinner table together. Everyone's talking. Everyone's (laughs) watching energy build between each other. That's very different than the online world that we're in now. Yeah, I can speak a little bit to the to the weirdness. Um, <laughs> I'd say early on in our relationship, we would show up to an event together or something, and we would kind of go our separate ways and start mingling with different crowds and whatnot. And if I was attracted to somebody, I might start engaging with somebody, and they might look at me in in a interesting that weird light. Like I saw that person walk in with them, and they now they're going over to check in with them. They don't understand. And it's hard to like say that in in an event space or, yeah. or at a at a dance or something like that. It's hard to 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 preemptively have that conversation without just blurting it out, and then they're like, "Never mind. I want nothing to do with with that." So yeah, going on to the online space, the digital space, and stating those preferences, those boundaries right off the bat, really just takes all that weirdness out of it. That makes sense. Well, thank you for saying that, because I think in my head, I was like, that that just seems like a lot of hoops to through, but it makes sense what you're saying. It's actually less hoops, because you can just clearly state it without having to go through the conversation of, oh, here's what we prefer, and here's what we do, and da-da-da-da-da. Yeah, when the second thing out of your mouth when you're meeting someone new is, oh, we're in an open relationship, it's doesn't necessarily go over well. Unless they have experience with that. Yeah, right. Or they might feel like, I just got set up. Like we're having a coffee and then I thought you might be cute online or whatever. And now we're talking about open relationships. I don't know anything about that. I just want to, my coffee's not even here yet. <laughs> whatever it might be. So we've talked about polyamory done well. Communication, setting boundaries, setting an honorable space for everybody involved. How do you prioritize the relationships, a primary, et cetera, those are words that I've already used. How do you identify who your primary is going to be and how are you going to identify who your Wednesday lover is going to be? <laughs> is it just how long you've been with the person? Is it a timing? If it's unique to every relationship. Totally I mean, we've chosen to cohabitate and raise children together. Yeah. So by the nature of our lifestyle, I think we have to prioritize each other. We're open to another partner coming in who could have equal primariness with us but it would be a pretty special someone that's gonna be on the same page and get that and understand all of our needs around yeah, house around it, the kids around our our own personal space yeah and it does take time to build that so you like know it's any not good relationship it's not going to be instantaneous yeah yeah so yeah prioritizing is is house and home Absolutely, first because that's the maintenance. That's the that's the day to day. That's that's the core that's what's here. Too. That's the core. Yeah, good good term. Yeah, and then yeah, after that, it's kids and family, mm-hmm. um, and then it and then it goes out a little to the next step, where community or mm-hmm. or other relationships or lovers. Are you married? Uh, not yet. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Elle and I were talking about that last night quite a bit. 
and this morning is what what would marriage look like? That's exciting. Um, so let me ask, what would marriage look like? There's there's commitment, there's paperwork, there's the legal aspects to it. What beyond those would be marriage in a non-monogamous relationship look like? <laughs> I think that we're looking for um, expressing our commitment in a way that is witnessed by the community and having the state and specifically involved. specifically not the government. And having the state involved is not an act of desire. In fact, it's explicitly not wanted. So we'll never probably have a legal marriage, more something like a common law marriage. And it's interesting because I think in that model, we can have marriages to other people too, really. It's not something we think about in our culture, but I think. Yeah, I think commitment ceremony was what we've mm -hmm. come up with. The commitment uh, ceremony. Yeah, yeah, I love mm -hmm. it. The, the old style hand hand tying. Or, yeah. yeah, hand fasting. Yeah, that. that. Would you use handcuffs? <laughs> but <eventually>. Shackles? <laughs> Would it be leather? <laughs> but you're 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 the way that you move through the world through your relationships. I'm probably wouldn't change a whole lot. You probably continue because it seems like what you guys are doing is work. Yes, some that being openly committed to each other in a public way probably wouldn't change what you're already doing so well. Right. Correct. Yeah. Could I get into the juicy part of things? Sure thing. So polyamory doesn't have to include sexuality. Polyamory doesn't have to include sharing the stories with your partners. When I was in a 16-year-old monogamous relationship, I was just like, I just want to have sex with everybody. As soon as I get a divorce, it's going to be, I just want to sex, 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 sex. So my mind just went to sex and like, oh, uh, what is it to be a swinger? What is it to be polyamorous? What is it to be whatever? And so I kind of said I, I would never be monogamous again because I want difference in my life. I want experiences that I have never thought before, like this is the plate, let's try it out. But as a couple, as a, as a loving couple who are, are committed, how do you share sex with each other? How do you share sex with others is there a, do you, do you have sex in the same room? Do you swap? How does that part of it work? <laughs> the sexy part of it. <laughs> um, so in my long-term relationship, I had a similar outlook as yours, is that I felt like I missed out on lots of sex. It was a huge piece of what makes me me is the, the ability to express myself in the bedroom in all ways, in all positions, in all tempos. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, when I met Elle, we had a similar outlook is that sex is everything and it's also nothing. It, it can be absolutely um, beautiful and it can mean nothing and let's just fuck. Um, so that was, that was, that was explosive for me to, to use a, a sexy term. Um, <laughs> it really fulfilled a lot of what I was looking for, and, sh and she was there for me uh, in those moments of need, in those moments of healing, in the moments of, of 
real just tenderness and understanding. And that opened my love language to understand what sex meant to me. And I'm still learning. Uh, when you when you talk about okay now when you, we got into some sex parties and things and watching her engage with someone else how does that make me feel how does all the different feelings come up I I, I knew she was engaging with other people I met I've met and hugged and loved some of the other people that she's been with um, but I had never seen it um, so yeah those those were all new experiences. Uh, fast track to growth. We'll, we'll step back to the, one of the first things we said tonight. Um, it, it really shows you your shadow. It shows you what, what makes you tick, what, what is exciting to you, what is not exciting to you. I think you pointed something that out earlier about why, why are we doing this? Um, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll let Elle speak to that a little more. Well, hearkening back to my first relationship that was a threesome, it was often a threesome. Like we did, did have some couple, we did break off into dyads at times, but I had a lot of experiences in a threesome dynamic. And I'll be honest, I don't love threesomes. <laughs> but that container of having, of playing with multiple people is fun when done well. And when Eric and I got together initially, we definitely mostly had relationships without being around each other when we were with other lovers. But as, as he's alluded to, we've been exploring different arrangements and sex parties. And it, it's for everybody to figure out what works for them. I, I find it really fun to, to watch him engage with somebody else and yeah i have much easier access to compersion when i'm in the room and mm -hmm. sure a part of it i think yeah. that's good i've determined that for myself if i don't feel excluded well i'm happy exactly if i'm excluded if i don't hear the story if i'm only wondering what's going on my brows furrow as opposed to my fists go in the air like yeah, yeah sweet tell me more what were you wearing how was it and so like if you're in, in the same room watching and enjoying or participating in your, in your own way it seems like that would be wonderful do you have much experience with that i have a fair amount yeah, not fair. not and it's definitely not something I seek out anymore, but because Eric's been more recently looking to explore sexually since he was in a relationship that was mm -hmm. pretty traditional for so long, I've I've been kind of having a re what's the word? Renaissance. Renaissance, thank <laughs> you, around it. And it's and it's been lovely and I've grown a ton and I'm loving it. So I think that's what's so cool. And I, I want to put this out there to anyone that's listening. Just because something works for any of us doesn't mean it's going to work for any of you, right? Correct. And what I think is so awesome and fun about this whole world is trying new things until you figure out where you fit and what works for you. And there's so many different ways to do all of it. And to me, that's part of the excitement of it. Give it a try, figure out what it is, find what your kink is, find what your space is, find what turns you on. It's okay to try some stuff that you're not sure if it's going to work. And that's where you actually land. And that's getting to know yourself. 
Yeah. Right. And you can do that with a partner and do that without a partner. But man, that's growth right there. It's just trying. And I'm still working on where in the heck do I fit with it all? So I just, I think it's, I think it's cool. So the polyamory thing seems in some ways, I think what we've agreed is it is, is love and it is connection. Mm -hmm. It's not just randomly having sex with a lot of different people. It truly is a deeper connection. But even within the polyamorous world, there's so many different ways to do it. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's awesome. It's and really in our Great Sexpectations podcast, the two parts of that, you were talking about your your thoughts of going to an established party. And then the second part was after. And you described scenes of what will it be like going here? What do I need for my own comfort? And really knowing your own comfort, knowing your own boundaries, focusing on what your pleasure is going to be and not having to live up to somebody else's standards. When you described yourself being in a bed with another couple and having a foursome, the way that you were talking about the joy of it and the love that everybody had in that room made me quickly turn and head back to the Appalachia. I'm like, I want some of that. I want some of that love, that enthusiasm, your willingness to to go beyond your comfort zone to find your own pleasure. And it sounds like you had it. And it sounds like those type of events could be really magical, especially if you have the your your communication, your enthusiasm your language, your compersion. I don't know. That sounds all really exciting to me. So going back to what Elle said, though, when it's done right, right? Mm -hmm. So there's probably other parties that we've heard about that maybe aren't done in a way in which a community was tried to, to a community was through open communication. The, the organizer of that worked hard to have this open communication beforehand. So walking into that event, even though I may not have met everyone, we had still kind of touched base. We had communicated. And so I think that was done in a way in which it was very supportive and loving. And I really appreciate that. So I think that's part of this whole scene that we talk about is there's different ways to do it and looking for situations that are done in a respectful, loving, mature way. And there can be a lot of fun and excitement and joy there. The entire byline of this podcast is becoming your first best lover. So knowing what your desire is, knowing what your pleasure is, and knowing how to ask for it and how to say no, mm -hmm. as well as living as much as you can in a, in, a, in a complicated life without shame or guilt. That takes maturity. That takes a lot of work that probably, relatively speaking, very few people are willing to to play. I think it's easy just to say, I do forever after. Let's let's see if this thing works. And I, I love the idea that as, as responsible adults, responsible people who are navigating a world looking for pleasure and excitement and compersion, man, I want to know those people. So thank you for, <laughs> for, for sharing your experiences, your wisdom, your voices with us. Any is there anything that we didn't cover that you think is important to throw out there before we wrap up? I was just thinking about women and how we relate to one another and tracking our impact on one another. And I do think um, there's a little piece that I could say about just how generative, generative it can be to be proactive. And like in the traditional monogamous dynamic if you if you're in a relationship and you're looking to open it up 
and you're nervous about it, to get to know the other woman as a friend and approach it from that place of curiosity and excitement as opposed to it's a foregone conclusion that they're a threat mm-hmm. is is where the sweet spot can really be. And and when we show consideration for each other and check in, like I really try to um build rapport with my metamors because then I have the ability to show consideration for them and to receive consideration for them directly in a way that my partner doesn't have to be the in-between. And that's where it can get, it's easier for me to access compersion for him when he's with them because I have this connection with both of them. Right. So yeah, I don't, I don't, there's just a whole piece around that that felt important to name. That's big. Thank you for saying that. That makes a lot of sense. And I don't even know how to fully voice that. And you you did a good job. The community of metamors, paramours and yeah. metamors. Yeah. Oh, that's fascinating. It's juicy. <laughs> it's juicy. And I come from the West where religiously speaking, there's one group of folks who have a, a history of uh, what's the term? Polygamy. Yeah, where you have one person married to one male married to several women. Yeah. And it's all about him and and the building of of his his family name. And that's there's legal issues, there's social issues, there's a variety of the focus on the of the women associated with that. And I'm just curious like do do they become intimate with each other is there a way that they could have a relationship without joe smith the head of the household and <laughs> I'm, I'm his wednesday i'm his thursday can like you hang out on tuesday and monday like if that ever happens in those in those families and i think because of the strictness of their their fundamentalism it's, it's probably really frowned upon like don't be friends with her just be her aunt I, I, well i think it leads leads to emotional intimacy right is is that Something that Elle just pointed out was that you can have empathy for the other person if you get to know them, right? If they're in a crisis and they need Joe Smith to to be there for them, it if there's openness, if there's shared reality, um, then there is space within the relationship for that to happen. Even mm. if it, let's say, it is um, partner one's night. <laughs> But partner two is in crisis. If there's not that open communication, if there's not that respect within the relationship, it's not going to go well. And those folks are forming families. And I, I'm most of the time when you form a family, you have a family unit. I'm in hope that there's love, camaraderie, friendship above amongst everyone there. It's my, I would hope. And none of us know because that's not (laughs) any of our reality. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. I think that's a fantastic conversation. Thank you so much, Susie, for wanting to get a voice other than just mine and yours on this subject. <laughs> uh, folks with, with true practical experience and, and so articulate in, in that experience. Thank you very much. Thanks. Yeah. Thank thanks you. for talking to us. All right. That's the wrap. 